Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. We're going to see a small picture of what we're even going through today. It's a picture of Moses in front of Pharaoh and the first miracle he's going to do in front of Pharaoh with the turning the staff into a snake. And really, it's going to be Aaron and Aaron's rod. But what it is, is it's a picture of the future. Because like I've said before, the whole drama that plays out in Egypt is a typology eventually for the future drama that plays out with the Antichrist in Israel and God showing his power through the tribulation like he's going to show his power through Egypt. So what you're going to watch today is a picture of what's happening now. And what we understand is that Moses is going into a very dark area. And him and Aaron are going to be that light in that very dark area. And what you're going to see is that Egypt is full of the occult. I mean, just packed solid with demonic activity, magic, incantations, all these other things. And I'm not using the term magic in the terms of sleight of hand, card tricks, or anything like that, like Houdini. I am talking full-blown sorcery, using satanic power, using demonic power to affect things in the physical world. And you're going to see that play out in the chapter today. But what does that mean for you and I? In the future and right now, we're starting to see more and more demonic activity in our culture. We're seeing supernatural things sometimes that occur. And then you see the result of that and you see two areas, violence and immorality. If you see those two areas of rampant violence, out of control anarchy, and then you understand the immorality along with that, that means that people are under the power of demonic control. That stuff is happening on the demonic level that we've never seen before. And so what we're going to study today is exactly where we're at. This world is getting darker. And we're going to have to know how to deal with this world going forward. We can't deny it. We just have to deal with it. And just like Moses did. And we'll see that God's power will prevail over anything. And so that being the case, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 7 in our series in Exodus. And the title of today's message is The Spiritual Battle Begins. And so God is now going to start battling with the gods of Egypt. And the gods of Egypt obviously are fallen angels and demons. But he's going to start battling and showing that he has the ultimate power. We'll start in verse 1, and uh, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to explain a little bit about Pharaoh's heart and how he won't respond to these miracles that God will do and that Moses will do, and explain that a little bit because it's a picture of our culture. It's a picture of what we're facing. We have a culture that has a hard heart. This is why, have you noticed that facts and evidence don't work on people anymore? They're so hardened that you can't speak logically or rationally to them. That's a sign. This is where Pharaoh is at, but this is where culture is at. So all of this is going to be apropos for us. So in verse 1, it starts this way. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. So the idea is not ontologically, but functionally. Moses is going to tell Aaron what to say, and then Aaron's going to be like a prophet and speak to Pharaoh. So that's how they'll function with Pharaoh, that Moses will give the revelation, and then Aaron speaks it like a prophet. So again, it's just talking about function, okay? In one sense, I want you to think about this, though. They're going in front of the evilest person alive at that time, okay? It's like going in front of Hitler or Mussolini, Stalin or whatnot. And they're going to represent the truth before him. So it's a daunting task, but it's an application for you and I. We're entering a very dark world coming to us. Things are never really going to be the same. If you thought you're going to go back to how 2019 was and before January 2020, and you're going to think, well, we're going to eventually go back there, you're fooling yourself. We're not going back. This is different. This is changing. And we have to prepare ourselves because it's going to get darker. But the same task is put before you and I as it is with Moses. We are to be a light in the dark world to tell the truth. 
And that's what our call is to do in, during these times. We're not to hide and get away as much as we feel like doing. We have to confront. Anyway, verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. So now it's more direct. This is what you're going to say, okay? Let them go, basically, is the idea. Verse 3. And I will harden, or the Hebrew word is chazak, which means to strengthen or assist or hard. Uh, Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Now, why do I want to make a big note about this? Because a lot of people misunderstand the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. I talked about it earlier in sermons a couple weeks ago, but I, I really want to flush this out because to understand Pharaoh's heart and why it's hardened and how God is hardening his heart will be a parallel to understand how our culture's heart is hard and what God eventually is going to do is give them what they want. Give our culture what it wants. If you want lies, if you want to live by evil and wickedness, if you want a man with a plan to solve all your problems, I will give you what you want. So I'll talk about in that sense in the level of hardening. God is allowing our culture to be given over. We're seeing things we have never seen because the culture is now being given over. And it's around the world. It's not just the United States. But let me talk a little bit about hardening of heart because this is important to understand from a biblical concept and how you deal with people. First of all, what is the hardening of a heart? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It is not a violation of Pharaoh's will. God doesn't just go arbitrarily into Pharaoh's heart and change it like a little toy or a puppet and say, okay, now you do this, resist, 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 resist. That's crazy talk. That's fatalism. That's determinism. That's Calvinism. Number two, not making Pharaoh do something he wouldn't do. it. That's not, not what it is either. He, God doesn't force people to do something against their will. They are free moral creatures. And so that's not into the definition of what hardening of heart means. Okay, let's go to number two real quick. What hardening or the strengthening of a heart or the darkening of a heart means individually, both to the unbeliever and the believer. Let's ex- let me explain that. Number one. The writer of Hebrews 3.7 states that people harden their own heart through deceitfulness of sin. As the person continues on in life, in sin, and the deceitfulness of it, the more deceived they become, the more hardened to the truth they actually become. So you end up like this guy with Barbie mohawks on his head, and you become, you know, like you're seen in these Antifa riots and these crazy things. Notice when you look at the people rioting. Do they have a certain look? Yes, they do. They look crazed. They look out of their mind. They look disheveled. Their clothes indicate that something's going on on the inside. What do I mean? Well, when you look at any demon-possessed person, they'll have a dirtiness to them. They'll have grunginess to them. Their clothes are disheveled. They wear black all the time. They do funky things with their hair and with things that change their look to make them look menacing. When you look at that, you see demonic influence in that. There's something about that. Number two, Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 states that a person hardens their heart through unbelief. So as a person continues in their unbelief, they harden their heart. Now that can happen to a believer as well. If you have unbelief in a category area of your life, You can harden your heart in that particular category or area. And you actually, when you become hardened in that area, you go crazy in that area. The further away from sin you get, the more you start looking like this, spiritually speaking. Three, Romans 1, 18 through 21 states that a person hardens their heart when they suppress the truth and deny the evidence that God provides. See, this is when you know a society has been given over to a hard heart is that they suppress the truth. Don't confuse them with the facts anymore. And they cry out and scream out. When you give facts to them, they just get hostile. They get angry and they yell at you and curse at you and want to hurt you when you tell them facts. They don't want to hear it. That is a clear sign of a hard heart and someone who has been given over And that's what you're watching. We're watching this on on the TV. You can watch it today. Turn on the news and watch it. Our society's been given over. What is the result of a hard heart, though? 
What happens to people when this hard heart continues to keep going on? Mark 8, 17 through 19 points out that the hardness of a heart causes the person not to spiritually see, hear, understand, nor remember. Folks, if you can't see spiritually what's going on, if you can't hear what's spiritually going on, the truth, if you cannot understand, like some of these people, when you tell them, look, Black Lives Matter is a communist organization, its three founders are communists, and you tell them that, what do they do? They get mad at you and say, you're a racist. But it's like, we're not even talking about race, we're talking about communism. What are you not understanding about this? And again, once you realize they have lost the ability to hear, see, understand, now you know what you're dealing with. Number two, the other result that comes from this is Romans 1, 18 through 21, and then Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 point out that the person is turned over to sin. So when you see these groups rioting, going crazy, looting, taking what they want, setting up their own perimeters in Seattle, making a blockade where they're going to have anarchy and create their own society, right? Uh, it's chop or chump or whatever it is, and uh, chalupa or something. I don't know what it is. That's a, that's a food, sorry. Not chalupa. It's chop, I think it is. When you see that, you're looking at a Romans 1 person. You're looking at people who have been given over. Look at the clothing. Look at what they look like. Does that not signal to you demonic influence or on the highest level possession? Of course it is. It reminds me of the kind of violence you see in the Bible at Sodom and Gomorrah or Gibeah or in the days of Noah. And Jesus warned that the last days would be like the days of Noah. We'd see an increase in violence. That's demonic activity, folks. That's a hard heart. Second, the other thing that goes along with it is devious sexual behavior. When you start seeing a society that has drag queen story hour and it gets worse than that, and now you have pedophilia wanting to raise its head saying it's legitimate. When you see a society embrace the lunacy of that, it's not just crazy, it's demonic. That's when you know we're off the rails. What do you think God thinks about our society embracing that? Embracing anarchy, saying that's okay. And then if you oppose that on the screen, and if you oppose Antifa, then you're a racist. See, what this is an attack on is an attack on Christianity. It's an attack on the Judeo-Christian ethic of America, and they've got to take it down. This is why this is a spiritual battle, to take down any vestige of God in this country. That's what this is about. Three, let me make a special note about hardening. Hardening also does not mean eternal condemnation. Thank God for that. Because the longer people live without God, they get hard, but they can get saved. And if they get saved, their heart of stone can be turned to a heart of flesh, according to Ezekiel 36, 26. So it's possible to be redeemed out of this. Is it possible for a believer to have a hard heart about certain things? Absolutely. Can the believer get out of being a hard heart in certain areas? Of course. They then have to trust God in that area. And then their heart will be made a heart of flesh in that area. So it can happen to believers and unbelievers alike. Okay. So number four then, this is what I want to point out. God only starts to chazak or strengthen or assist Pharaoh's heart after the fifth plague. So that he will have the strength of heart to follow through with what he wants to do. And to not be afraid of resisting God as the plagues get more intense. Now, that's a big mouthful, but basically what we're saying is the way the Hebrew is being used there in the tech, it is not God arbitrarily going in there and changing his heart, or it's God strengthening his heart to keep resisting. Because once God starts demonstrating his power, Pharaoh will buckle under the pressure. And if he buckles under the pressure, he will release the Israelites. Well, isn't that a good thing? No, not necessarily. The primary purpose of the plagues of Egypt is not necessarily to get Israel free. It's part of the equation, but the number one equation is to be a witness of God to the entire world. 
Now, Dudimos is the pharaoh that probably Moses is dealing with in the 13th dynasty. This is probably the pharaoh that Moses dealt with. It's not Ramesses. Ramesses is too late. It's Dudimos, probably, more than likely. And anyway, what Dudimos, this guy, will buckle under the pressure had not God strengthened his heart to keep resisting. Now, he strengthened his heart to do exactly what Dudimos wanted to keep doing. Dudimos is an anti-Semite. He hates the Jews. He's satanically inspired, okay? He's like Hitler. He's like the Antichrist. I mean, you can't get worse than this dude. He wants to wipe out the Jews completely. That's his policy. So he's operating on satanic inspiration. Perhaps he's even possessed by Satan. We don't know. But God is going to strengthen him to continue to resist and not buckle. Because most humans, if they saw the power of God, would buckle under that pressure. And he keeps resisting. And again, it's not until the fifth plague that God starts doing this. I want to point that out because at the end of the day, God will do the same thing with people today. If someone hardens their heart to a certain degree, he will actually give them over to what they want in another sense. And he allows them to, you want it, you can have it. And unfortunately, what I'm watching and you are watching in our culture is a culture has now been given over. You want this America? You got it. These are the people you put in your leadership. These are the people you put in the colleges and universities. These are the people you put in your public school education. These are the people you worship as heroes in the NFL, NBA, in Major League Baseball. These are the heroes in Hollywood that you want. These are the musicians that you want. Fine. I will give you them. But part of the deal is you will not like what you get because you won't get me. And our culture is at that point. The fifth point I want to make about this is it's evangelistic in nature. Today, if you talk to most people, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't say all, but most people have a good understanding, somewhat understand, a basic understanding of the exodus, whether they've seen it on cartoons, movies, or whatnot. Because the exodus, when you say exodus, it is a signpost. It's a historical sign. Like when we say Sodom and Gomorrah, when we say the fall, or when we say the flood, the Noah's flood, those are signposts that God gave the entire world, and they still witness for him. Well, when you see the exodus, it is a witness for him. And that's why he strengthened Pharaoh to go all the way, to go to the 10th plague, so that the whole world would see it. Now, what's the point? It's worldwide evangelism. That's what it is. And it still is evangelizing today. How so? The whole scene in Exodus and the plagues are about God's display of power versus the power that comes from the satanic world, whether it's Satan, the fallen angels, and demons who are pretending to be somewhat gods, if you want to say that. So really, this is, is God's display of how powerful he is compared to the creatures he created. And he will do so again in the tribulation. But this is the witness of it. So as people see the Exodus, the main focus is power. This is a power issue that's going on. Okay, so now let's return back to the story and pick up in verse 4 with me and watch how things transpire as far as this power encounter. He says to Moses and Aaron, but Pharaoh will not heed you. Okay, so he reiterates this. And, and again, let me, let me make this point. Is Pharaoh's not going to heed him because his heart is hard. Let me make a stop here, and I think it's important to understand this. Because he's telling Moses, go do something, say the truth to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. So I know what the natural reaction I would have, or you would have possibly, is then why do it? Why even have a discussion with him if he's not going to listen it's the same thing he told Jeremiah the prophet. I'm going to send you to talk to Israel, but by the way, Israel's leaders are not going to listen to you. Then why send me? See, there's a principle here, and I don't want you to forget this. Even if the culture or a person won't listen to you, the truth still needs to be stated as a witness against the person, because ultimately that person is going to answer to the Lord for the truth that was revealed to them. Whether they accept it or reject it, it's irrelevant to you and I. So we speak the truth in love and let the results leave it up to God. 
But even if I know I'm not going to get anywhere with a particular person, I still state the truth as a witness to the truth. Now, let me show you how this is not being practiced in Kern County. I met with Mary Lee Schreier this week. We did a radio broadcast uh, for her radio show. And Mary Lee Schreier is the director of Kern County Right to Life. Okay? They're trying to support women not aborting their babies and having their babies and, and putting them up for adoption. But really, it's the cause of life. Don't murder babies, right? It's a black and white issue, yeah? And we would all support that. You know what she told me? It shocked me. I guess I shouldn't be shocked. She told me the majority of pastors won't deal with her. The majority of churches will not get in front of their congregation and say abortion is wrong. They just won't. I said, Mary Lee, what are you talking about? This is a black and white issue. Oh, they say it's too controversial. I said, controversial? 57 million babies have been slaughtered, and they think that's controversial? That's insane. And she goes, well, sometimes they give me the excuse of, well, what's the good of protesting against it? You know, Sacramento's going to do what they want. And I came back with her to this principle. I said, what these pastors fail to understand is the principle of declaring truth regardless of their response. They're not doing it. So they give up. Well, what's the point? We don't do that. We don't give up. We speak the truth until we're raptured. That's it. And these spineless pastors, spineless, won't stand up for babies? What's wrong with them? Get out of the pulpit. Go sell insurance. Go do something else. If you can't defend the life of a baby, you have no business in the pulpit. Get out. I can't understand that. If for the life of me, that just irritates me so bad. I, I got to get my blood pressure down. Hold on. Let me calm down. All right. Let's go back to the text. So that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. So this is why you know, I'm going to delay this. I want all of them to see my judgments, all ten plagues. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And so, it's again, he's talking about evangelism. He's talking that all the world will know it, even Egypt. The interesting thing about Egypt, there was many Egyptians who actually started believing in Yahweh after they started seeing the plagues. It did work. A mixed multitude came out with the Jews in the Exodus. Verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And that is our key. They're not going to listen to you, Rock Harbor Church. But what did Moses do? And Aaron, they went out and did it anyway. And that's what you and I did. So they did as the Lord instructed them. We did, we do what we were told to do. There we go. That's all our duty right there. Verse 7, and Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now think about retirement on that one. Moses and Aaron are not sitting on the beach having iced tea with their feet in the sand, being warmed by the sun. They are at 80 and 83 confronting Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Pol Pot. I mean, every wicked person you can imagine. Where is Moses? He's in the darkest place being a light in his old age. Wow. Talk about retirement. Wow. You ever think about, hey, I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go right into the heart of evil and confront George Soros. Can you imagine doing that in your retirement? Pretty bold, isn't it? Verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle for yourselves. Look at that. It's not a miracle for Pharaoh. Notice the wording. You produce a miracle for yourself to authenticate yourself. I don't need it. You see his unbelief in there, his heart of heart? By the way, this goes to show you, miracles do not produce faith. I hear people who are atheists, I know, well, if I saw a miracle from God, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't, because the scripture tells you and I, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you don't believe Moses and the prophets, like Jesus said, you won't believe someone rising from the dead. That's how it is. And so here's a classic case of that. 
Do a miracle, but for yourself. I don't need a miracle from you because no miracle, no supernatural event is going to convince him. Do you know why? Not only is it a hard heart, he already has seen the supernatural with the satanic powers around him. He has seen the laws of nature be broken by the demonic and that realm that he's already involved in. It's very wicked, very evil. Okay. So then the Lord spoke to Moses and saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. Now, Moses had done this with his rod and God authenticated that. Now, Aaron's going to do this with his own rod. Now, what this is, is a miracle. It's a miracle of power. Again, this is all about power. God is showing and evidencing that as the creator, he has the power to change an inanimate object into a living creature. Just, you know, kind of like he did with Adam and Eve. You know, when he created Adam, he created him out of the dirt, out of the clay, out of the dust, out of the ground, and breathed the breath of life into him. So the creator has the ability to create life out of nothing. And then actually the creator, as you will see with the plagues, has the ability to uncreate his creation. He has the ability to unravel it, which is no, no power has the ability to do things like that. Okay, with that being stated, here's the question then. What's the deal with the staff and the snake and all that? Again, just to refresh our minds. The staff will symbolize God's power that Moses has and Aaron has. That staff will symbolize this is the power that God's going to work through, this instrument. But that staff now is going to be thrown to the ground in front of Pharaoh and turns into a serpent. The Hebrew allows certain interpretations if you want. I think it's a serpent, but it can be translated. Tanin is a crocodile. It could be translated uh, some type of reptile, leviathan, or different things like that. I think the context best suits it with a snake. And let me explain why. This cobra or the snake, the serpents, was very common in Egypt. Okay, it, But from a biblical standpoint, the serpents or snakes, were associated with evil powers. It was a symbol of Satan and a symbol of chaos and the underworld, according to the Bible. You obviously know that the underworld is where hell, uh, I should say, we call hell, but it's the pit and then the bottomless pits there and whatnot in the earth. Well, anyway, the serpent obviously is tied to Satan. And then we look at Genesis and we see Nakash in Genesis. And the kosh was either bipedal or quadrupedal. We don't know. But something along the lines of this, we don't know what it looked like. But nonetheless, this is the animal that Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve to take them down. And the kosh. It means shining one. By the way, the animal shine had a luminescent feature about it. Isn't it funny that, an- that Satan would use a shining animal kind of as an angel of light, so to speak. It's also a reference to the Leviathan of the great deep, a serpent uh, type of, of animal that is in the water, a giant animal, Leviathan. But as you know, what it's really referring to is referring to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and it's referring directly to Satan and his demonic realm. Anyway, what's the point? Well, the Egyptians are under full demonic control by Satan and all the demons in that country. That country, at this point in time, is highly demonic. High, high levels of demonic activity, obviously. And there is Israel right in the middle of this. If you look at Pharaoh in his headdress, any of the pharaohs, it tells you what god they worshipped. On all their headdresses, it's the shape of a cobra. And also on the top and the front of the head is always a picture of a serpent or a cobra type of animal. And again, it just shows you that this was their god. Now, they had different names for their god. Horus, Isis, Ra, all that stuff. But really, all those names, you just get rid of the names and understand whether it was Hopi, the god of the Nile, or all these polytheistic gods. What they were, really, were fallen angels. And the Probably Satan is right there with them all. And that's what's really going on here. That's who they're worshiping. You can take Roth and Cyrus and Horus and all those names off and say, no, this is what's really going on. These are the creatures they are worshiping. Unfortunately, folks, the reason 
pagans gravitate to worshiping demons and not know it, or worshiping false gods, worshiping idols, guess what the reason is? Power, knowledge. Power and knowledge is what Satan offered our parents in the Garden of Eden. Knowledge to be like God and power. Where would the power come from? The power will come from the demonic realm, from the fallen angel realm, Satan himself, to supply the power to the humans. So it's a counterfeit, a substitute of God's power and knowledge. For instance, when you go with God's knowledge, we're, going, we're talking about the scripture, but we're also talking about prophecy. They will counterfeit that with their own types of fortune-telling, predictive things of such nature, and then they'll reveal secret information from the demonic realm to human beings. So there's, that's what the occult means, a hidden knowledge revealed. And then the power then is displayed in counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders from the demonic realm that actually can do certain things. What you'll see here is they will duplicate the miracle. They will actually duplicate the first three, I believe, things that Moses does. They actually can have that kind of power. And so that's what we're dealing with. We are not dealing with magicians who are doing sleight of hand. We are actually dealing with highly demonic people who are channeling through rituals, amulets, or whatever it is, the power of the demonic realm to do similar things as Moses does. Very dark. So let's look at the scene. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Again, this is a battle of power, right? God is changing an inanimate object into a living creature. Verse 11. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers. This is, the wise men and sorcerers are those who are channeling demons. They are in touch with demons, okay? There, there's heavily, heavy activity demonically going on here. And so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Notice how it tells you they did it. They themselves do not possess the power to change a stick into a serpent. They had to do an enchantment, and the enchantment or the religious rite or the pagan rite calls upon the demonic to do the thing they want them to do. Okay? And that's what Moses is trying to say. They're doing it through demonic power. It's not human sleight of hand. It's by enchantments. Now, do the occult do enchantments today? Of course they do. The occult always does enchantments. Sorcery, we would call it. Practices, occult practices, satanic rituals, we would call it. To invoke the power of the demonic presence to do certain things. And can they do things? Absolutely. They did here. This is not them throwing a cobra out from a box or from behind their back. They're duplicating. Very, very much so. And, and, but notice in verse 12, for every man, every man, all the magicians threw down his rod and they became serpents. They all could do the same thing through the enchantment of channeling a demon. Now, with that being the case, we do get some outside references that the Egyptian priests, the magicians or whatnot, sorcerers if you want to call them, could do certain things. In this Westcar papyrus that they have found, it talks about the Egyptian priests changing wax crocodiles into living crocodiles and then eventually changing them back to a wax crocodile. And again, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, there is other evidence that they were doing things already like this. And the typical thing was to grab it by the tail, and that would change it. And so notice that God uses Moses to grab the serpent by the tail to turn it back into a rod. It's a, it's a counter to what their magicians are doing. And so this is a, a major power encounter here. Okay, here's where we need to go. The question needs to be answered. Does the satanic realm, does the demonic realm, the fallen angel realm, have supernatural powers that can extend into the physical realm? Yes, they can. 
And the scripture is replete to tell us they can. Watch this in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, that's a pro- that, that, that still is applicable today. If someone comes before you and has the ability to do supernatural things, can fortune tell, can change things, can levitate tables, can levitate books, can move certain things that can channel grandma and grandpa and things which are not grandma and grandpa, they're familiar spirits. Someone has that ability and then they lead you astray to some other God, even though they are demonstrating supernatural abilities, they are not of God. So the principle is this. Even if you see the supernatural right in front of your very eyes, it doesn't mean it's the truth. It's probably coming from a demon or a fallen angel or whatnot. And be very, very careful not to follow it because it will lead you into worshiping other gods, a la the fallen angels. And so God is acknowledging these creatures can do things to you in the physical realm. Look in Matthew 24, 24, which warns about how things will ramp up, and especially in the tribulation. For false Christs and false prophets will, will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. The miracles, the supernatural abilities that demons and fallen angels will have during the tribulation will be so great that if it was possible, the elect would, or talking about Israel, would be deceived. That's how good they are. So if you're not a believer and you see these things, what do you think? Right? You would be deceived. Look at what 2 Thessalonians predicts and Revelation 13. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With what? With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Notice the word power is in there. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. So the idea of the power and the signs and the lying wonders is to deceive, right? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And again, this is referring to the tribulation, but it's a principle now. If someone has a hard heart, someone's not listening to the truth, and they're denying the evidence of God. They're denying his call on their life. And then they're in so deep into this deception that some type of supernatural event occurs in their life. They will follow that supernatural event because they're already deceived. And they will follow it hook, line, and sinker. And eventually what he's talking about is they will believe the lie of the Antichrist that he is God because he will be able to produce lying signs and miracles. They will believe him. And that's what Paul is referring to. The last passage I want to show you is Revelation 13, 13 through 14. He, talking about the false prophet, performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast which, uh, who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now, talking about the false prophet being able to do miracles similar to that of Elijah, calling down fire from heaven, or similar to that of the two witnesses. So please understand, in the world that we live in, what's happening now is demonic activity is ramping up, no doubt about it, violence, sexual immorality, but what's going to start happening is people will start experiencing supernatural things, okay? This is the next level of deception. They're already hard. They're already deceived because we can tell by their behavior. But then when you introduce deceptive lying wonders... And miracles, game over. It's game over at that point in time. Because they're so far gone, they will hook, line, and sinker, buy into it. And what is what is second Thessalonians? They will believe the lie because they refuse to acknowledge the truth. And folks, that's why I'm telling you the times that we're in are gonna get darker. And I hate to be Mr. Negative. But if this is the direction it's going, I know where it ends. 
you will start seeing supernatural manifestations. I mean, why do you think this UFO thing is so popular now? And the, the Navy has now released it. The Pentagon has now released these Navy pilots are seeing things fly in the sky. They don't know what they are. They're at supersonic speeds. They stop on a dime. They turn to 180, which would kill any creature. Even if it was an alien, it would kill a creature the way they turn. They appear on and off radar. They, they seem to be multidimensional. They smell like sulfur. What is that? Why do you think we're seeing aerial phenomenon going on in the sky? Because they're going to have to explain the rapture. And they're going to say they got beamed up by the spacecraft. You know that's what they're going to say. Because the culture is already there. So tell me how the culture would interpret the rapture, a miracle from God. They're not going to see it as a miracle. They're going to see it as something else. Alien abduction. Or something like that. It's crazy, right? But notice what happens with Aaron's rod versus the magician's rods. But Aaron's rod swallowed their rods. All of their rods. Not just one. All of them. Again, showing a greater power that Yahweh is superior in his power as Aaron Rods did this, and they couldn't. What you'll start seeing is the demonic realm's power is true, it's there, but it can only go so far. It can't go as far as God's. God's power is eternal. They don't have that kind of power. And so what you'll see in the miracles is God can go beyond what they can do, and that's seen in the miracle. But do you think Pharaoh's going to say, wow, your pole, your rod ate our snakes. I'm going to believe you. No, look what it says. God already said he wouldn't listen. Verse 13, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. He's not going to listen to you. We're going to go through this, Moses and Aaron. In fact, this is number one, but we're going to go through all ten. So hang on, it's going to be a bumpy ride, but I need you to keep going in front of Pharaoh and doing the same thing. And we're going to eventually see him break and at plague 10. But anyway, what's the application? The application is, this is, we're talking about spiritual warfare. This is real deal stuff. And unfortunately, the churches around the world don't want to address this. They don't want to acknowledge that the spiritual realm is real. They want to acknowledge it for the niceties, but they don't want to acknowledge it on the other side, that there's a very, very dark thing going on at the same time. When you, want, when you see what's happening on our, our planet with people and how bad it is, then understand in the heavenlies, the same thing is occurring. Very bad things are happening at the same time. The two are linked together. Okay, so what, 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 what kind of things do we need to understand? Let me do a societal application before we do a personal application. Societal application is this. It's the same as Genesis chapter uh, 3. The temptation for man will always be to seek knowledge and power and how to do that. Right now, most people who do not know Christ are seeking those things even though they're not saying that. They're seeking knowledge about their life, about their future, whatever that might be, and they're seeking power. And let me use another word so people can understand it. Security. Security. Knowledge and security. They want security for their lives. They want security for their future. They want security and, and that their, their life will go the way they want it. That is a seeking of power because it's, it's not directed towards God's security, if that makes sense. So what people are doing right now in their lives are finding where they can find power for security. And just like you're seeing people march off the cliff like lemmings, they're doing exactly what they're told because they're looking to their government to provide security. The government will tell me what to do with my money. The government will tell me what to do with wearing a mask. And they will protect me and give me safeguard. Baloney. Pharaoh was a god, Horus, incarnate to the Egyptians. They thought he was a god and that he would take care of them. That he would be like their father, would be like creating a nanny state, and he would provide everything they possibly needed because he is God on earth. Folks, do you understand that that's the same thing that's happening in the United States? 
people are gravitating to where the power is and they see where the power is. And let me tell you what happens. When they see where the power is, here's what happens. They make a trade. They make a trade. It's called the principle of compensation. This law is in the spiritual realm. And most people don't know it. It's called the law of compensation. Satan, the demonic, and the false, uh, sorry, the uh, fallen angels will entice you with what you want. They'll give you what you want, just a little bit. And the little crumb they give you of power and security, if you bargain for that and you do a deal, you will take that. They will give it to you. But in the law of compensation, they will exact more than what you take from them, from you. Our culture wants to get rid of the First Amendment. And they're, they're going right for it. The price they will all pay if they get rid of the First Amendment will be devastating to the entire culture. There goes the church if we lose the First Amendment. There goes your gun laws. All that. I mean, uh, the, the Second Amendment will go if they take the First Amendment. You see, was well, we just don't want... You know, what they say is, we just don't want hate speech. Wait, wait, if you're going to have free speech, you've got to have all speech. But you take one thing, I'll dangle the carrot, take it, and then you'll end up destroying your entire culture. That's how it works. Give an inch, they'll take it. So it's called the law of compensation. Our country is selling out to the fruit that Satan is hanging in front of it. You want peace and security? You don't like all these Antifa guys raging through your streets. You don't want to be called a racist. I'll give you what you want. I'll settle things down. I'll settle all things down if you just give me what I want from you. And the deal, folks, is being cut right now. So many people are selling out for that. Well, I don't want my life to get rough, and I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't want my future to be messed up, and I don't want my job to be messed up, so I will comply and bow a knee to Black Lives Matter. Because I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my retirement. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Folks, if you go for that fruit, you will sell out on the back end. Satan will come around and take more than what you bargained for. You will lose everything. And our culture is facing that. The culture will be lost if it takes the forbidden fruit. That's called the law of compensation. I'll give you what you want, but you're going to pay me back. And I'm going to bleed you to death. That's how Satan works. He doesn't play fair. He takes all. How much will Satan take? As much as you give him. I'm going to go on a personal level now and apply it to our lives. You're talking about demons. You're talking about fallen angels. And boy, that's, that's kind of scary. It should be. You should have a healthy fear of that realm. You should understand that it exists. Now, as a believer, you're protected. You're under the Messiah. And according to Hebrews 2, they can't touch you as far as death is concerned. The power of death has been removed for believers from Satan. They can do several other things to you, though. They can harass you. They could suppress you in a sin. They can influence you. Okay, so you have those kinds of levels of activity. And suppression, by the way... There's not much difference between suppression and possession. Now, you can't be possessed because you have the Holy Spirit inside you, obviously. But they can latch onto you in your sin nature and suppress you. Have I seen this before? Of course I've seen it before. Believers are under a false impression if you think you can't be harassed by the demonic. It's true. I've seen it. I've dealt with too many people. I know it happens. Do you want to know what the secret is in fighting the spiritual warfare battle? It's putting on the full armor of God. But what does that mean? The full armor of God means the entire word of God. Okay, I've got that. But then it means that you surrender all of your life to the truth. What do you mean? I thought I did that when I got saved. No, you got saved. But I'm talking about sanctification. In sanctification, you're being set apart, and there's areas and pockets of our lives that go unsurrendered. That place of unsurrender is the place where Satan or a demonic or a fallen angel will secure a foothold, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, and establish a beachhead in that unsurrendered part of your soul. And from there, 
work there to influence you, to suppress you in the sin, and actually harass you in that particular area since a beachhead has been established according to the Apostle Paul. So any area in your life that is unsurrendered that you know of will be the very area that they go after to try to control you, misguide you, lead you astray. To the degree of unsurrender will be the degree of demonic harassment. Why is that important? Because we're going into some very dark times. And if you start speaking the truth and being a light in the darkness, guess what? They're coming after you to shut you up. See, this is a culture of silence, censoring, shut up culture. They want you to just shut up, and Satan wants you to shut up. But if you keep going for it, they're going after the unsurrendered areas in your own life, and that's where they will attack you. I read about a story about a guy, Christian man, his name is Pat, was struggling in areas of his life, obviously, that he couldn't get out of, struggling with sin, stuck in it, couldn't figure it out. He went before the pastor, and they brought the elders in front of him, and they were talking to him because he, he definitely was having de demonic harassment, demonic struggles, and, and whatnot. Something was happening to him. Anyway, they got in front of him, and they were talking to him and praying for him. And all of a sudden, as they're praying about, for this guy, they heard a voice, a, a deep voice. And they sensed that something's going on. We, there's a demon harassing him, obviously, and they could hear it audibly. And so... That pastor and that, 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 those leaders of that church asked the demon, why are you tormenting Pat? And you know what the demon said in response to them? Quote, because he has unsurrendered parts of his life. He has not surrendered to Christ completely. And we're taking advantage of that. That's real deal stuff, man. No one wants to hear that. I know in American Christianity that makes, that's unnerving to hear that. But folks, it's true. It is real deal stuff. And what Moses is encountering is exactly what you and I are encountering. You are going into the heart of darkness now. But you're a light. And in that light, as you know the metaphor, the light shines the greatest in the darkest areas. And that's what you and I need to be. That's how we fight. Be that light and don't surrender. We have an uphill battle. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.